welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Hello, Base Campers. I hope you're all doing well. Lately, I've been seeing all sorts of funny and truthful posts on social media about my generation, Gen X, and what badasses we are. And it's true. We were all raised to be tough, self-reliant, patriotic, with a high level of street smarts. We had to be. We were out in the world on our bikes as little kids, roaming all over the neighborhoods and the surrounding areas with our friends and our dogs. No kidding. That is the way we rolled, and it made an indelible mark on our lives and our character. We didn't wear helmets on bikes or motorcycles, for that matter. We didn't wear seatbelts in cars. Hell, we just jumped in the back of the pickup with four other kids and two dogs and held on for dear life. We weren't allergic to any foods. You would have been called a sissy if you had any. We had no trigger warnings. We were just boys and girls, and that was enough. It was, by every definition, an all-American upbringing, full of fun, adventure, optimism, freedom, and love. We didn't need anything else. Not that they weren't hard knocks. Oh, Gen Xers were expected to be resourceful, and you had to handle yourself in all sorts of situations. And we knew the world was not always safe or going to roll out the red carpet for us. So we learned work ethic. Hell, we learned it from our parents and the adults we grew up with. Everyone worked hard and had their hustle on. I saw my own parents work their tails off to put food on the table and provide the things that my brother and I needed. Looking back, it's inspiring and helped mold my generation. This episode is dedicated to my incredible fellow Gen Xers and those that raised us. A generation built on personal freedom, patriotism, hard work, and not putting up with all the bullshit they throw at you. This episode's for you. My guest today is fellow Gen Xer E. Mandisa, simply known as E. She is an educator, hip-hop activist, actor-writer, producer, and all-around creative. She also has a new radio talk show that she's hosting, something that we'll talk about today. Here is my interview with E. Mandisa. All right, I am here with E. Mandisa, Patriot, Truther, radio host E. Mandisa. E, welcome to Base Camp for Men. It is great to have you on the show. So excited to be here, Tony. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I was really excited. You and I met a while back, and we've had a number of uh, conversations, and we're kind of in the same community in and around Seattle. But I, I guess to start with, I just wanted to ask you to give the listeners maybe a little background, where you're from any unique circumstances of your upbringing, uh, and feel free to mention the Native American thing because uh, you and I shared that and we were really delighted in our first conversation to discover that you and I both had uh, family traced back to the same area of the Midwest. So make sure you mention that and maybe we'll circle back around later in the conversation to that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, well, I, I don't fit in any type of box. Uh, I'm African-American. I was raised in Great Falls, Montana, in a military town uh, by my Black father and my Native American uh, mother. So I was raised in a Native American family in Montana, in a military town, and um, had a great time. Uh, I've always been interested in the arts, so I went to the University of Washington and majored in uh, theater and communications and also in something called ethnic studies. But when I was going to the University of Washington, um, the O.J. Simpson trial was going on, so there was a lot of weird tension on campus that I didn't quite understand and a lot of 
racial adversity and animosity that I didn't quite understand growing up in Montana. So um, that started my journey into uh, working in the human rights movement, and <clears throat> that transitioned into legislative politics and activism. And uh, I've always been a patriot. You know, growing up in Montana, it's kind of hard not to be. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Uh, I was married to a military man. I have an adult son. He's yeah. special needs, but he's a great, great great kid and he um he's a video editor and he's into the arts and so we try to change the change the world through the arts did, did you get in to your, like your university training i know you were an activist but was that kind of before this big wave of social justice warriors where they were really being kind of used by the ideology because i know there was there was like in our generation, it seemed like there was people that were very active, but it was there was more almost like a pure spirit of like trying to move the needle rather than being moved by the ideology. Um, I don't know, like, did you feel did you feel disenfranchised by your involvement as an activist or was it I kind felt, of huh? I felt I actually felt very disrespected because I come from a time where you respect your elders and you kind mm -hmm. of respect those people who came before you, especially when you're working in something called any type of movement. Yeah. And so I was involved. I tell people that I was involved in a police accountability before it became a hustle and a yeah. hashtag. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, nobody was cash apping me money. Nobody was making me professional posters. Um, we and we weren't burning things down. We were actually working within the system, uh, um, you know, being able to deconstruct who within the police department, who within city council, who within these positions of power were actually good people that we could actually work with and, and create legislation rather than, you know, continuing to be angry. But there's not a lot of that going on these days. Everything mm -hmm. is like reactionary and, um, you know, wokeness, but, you know, we trained, um, we trained and, and we listened to, you know, civil rights leader, Black Panther people, and, and they, they like told what their mistakes were. They didn't just pat themselves on the back. They said, hey, these are the things how we tried to change the system. These are where we made the mistakes. And there's not a lot of that um, going on. So it's very, it's, it's very frustrating right now to, um, to try to do that type of activism. So that's why I'm moving more into uh, a different direction artistically and with yeah. the media. You know, it, I it's funny. It, energetically, it feels like we the people are closer than ever to recognizing all of our commonality and our common humanity. Like, I, I can see this, like, you know, there's slight differences, but there's so much that we share as one human heart. But at the very time that we're figuring out what's going on, it seems like the Marxist globalists uh, that that are that have the media, the mainstream media to blare out, they are just dead set on dividing us by race, gender, transgender, pronoun, like whatever they can do to create and so confusion and division um that is just like their 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 one play that they like to do over and over and you and you and a 
you and I, in a previous conversation, you said you had a, a problem with the narrative around white people right now. And I wanted to give you a chance to just say what, what is, where does that come from? And, and also on the flip end, where, where do you think the, the, all the division is coming from? Like how, you know, is it, is it just, is it all from, you know, the globalists and they're just, you know, the Marxists are just blaring it out, hoping we can't, uh, uh, figure it out. Uh, you know, what, what is your take on, you know, all the, you know, everybody's a racist. Um, you can't even speak out, uh, against the mainstream narrative as an African-American without being labeled a racist. Then you're like, you know, it's just like, it's the most absurd thing. Like the stuff that happens with Candace Owens, they're just like, oh, you're not a real black person. It's like, are you kidding me? Like this, she has so much common sense and heart and she gets thrown under the bus for for pointing out the incongruencies in the narrative. Um, but I, I wanted to give you a chance to, you know, how, how has it been for you? Well, it, it's it, it's it's been very painful and very, very difficult because I I. My father got me when I was nine months old and he was already in Montana. So I lived in Great Falls, Montana from nine months old to 19 years old. So my best friends were white. My teachers were white. Every, my community was white. And did I get teased? Yes. Did every once in a while there was some racisms? Absolutely. But I get together with my class every five years. And I graduated in 1986. Um, my father moved there in 1967. He couldn't find anybody to get a haircut except for one barber. And to this day, uh, this guy cuts my son and my father's hair for free. My son, my dad was taken by the content of his characters. I saw it by example. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, my, my, my father was first married to a Native American woman. She passed away when I was 18. Then my, uh, my, my father is married to a white woman. So I have a, a white uh, stepbrother's white stepsister and five white nieces. Mm -hmm. So when people are just painting these paintbrushes and talking about my friends, my family, um, my teachers, my coaches, people that helped me become the person that I am, and the color of their skin had nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's it's very painful to me. Um, so it's very difficult. And I don't want my nieces to have to grow up into this world. And I can understand why Black people are angry. I can understand our history, but I have never, the couple times I have been humiliated because of the color of my skin, I would never want that or wish that on anybody. So I think we've lost our humanity in all of this. And that's what concerns me. I had one of my students tell me the other day, she's a black student that goes to an all white school, an all white woke school, that that instead of celebrating black history month, they've changed it to BLM, BLM month. And they showed them some movie where uh, there was a, a white girl and a black girl that got into a conflict, but then they became friends. And in the movie, the white girl says the N word. Everybody in her classroom looks at her because she's the only black kid in her class so then the girl in the movie says the n-word again her her school her everyone in class turns at the little black girl my student and expects her to say something so then she just says the n-word back with the a right because yeah, we're yeah. like there's a difference between the hard r and the a her teacher who happens to be white 
kept her after school and berated her and did not even understand that he himself was being racist by telling a black girl how to engage in her culture to where I know it sounds weird that we can say it and other people don't. It sounds weird to me. I don't use the word personally. Yeah. But the weirdest thing about this white thing against white people is it's other white people saying this about white people. I know. And I don't and then they say it about me. Oh, you're you're brainwashed and what are you talking about? I know. You're a black white supremacist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? You know what's funny e, is that you know I grew up. I'm a Gen Xer. I grew up in a working class town, and we didn't have that many black people in in my community. Um, and you know, I it was working class, and and you know that was a long time ago. But I mean, I grew up with a lot of kind of you know, like the the men would tell kind of you know, homophobic jokes and, and they would tell jokes about Mexicans and, you know, Asia, you know, there was all that I grew up in. Um, and it was always a little cringy even back then, but I was like, you know, when you're young, you're just kind of like, you're observing and you're going, huh, okay. I, I, they don't seem to like this, these, all these groups of people, but there's not, they don't know any of them, actually. They're just saying, you know, that was, and then I went, then I went to university and ended up moving to big cities like Seattle and New York. And then I saw, you know, I could really see that, that old kind of working class, you know, redneck white guy mentality um, and then I ended up knowing lots of people from all the different groups that they used to tell jokes about. And, and then you're like, okay, well, I'm not doing that now. Like I, I swear E, like if anybody said anything to a group, I mean, I think if you just had like a random person say something in a bar, I think almost everybody in the bar would be like, what are you doing, dude? Are you serious? Are, you know, they would just they would they would just laugh them down like are you kidding me that is not the way we roll you know like i just think we're so far past that now yes you can find you can find pockets of it i could probably go back to longview washington and maybe there's going to be some racist at the pub it's like oh i don't like you know my life so i'm going to project it on all these people that i think is the problem with my my world but it didn't take me long to see people were people once i got out of that I don't even want to say stifling town. It was just kind of small minded. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if that resonates. You're you're from Montana. If you if that is all kind of what you saw around you, you were a military town. Mine was a working class, but it kind of had a little bit of that anger and a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, so to speak. Absolutely. Well, you know, the military town and then my dad being from Georgia, you know, mm-hmm. and we traveled so you know, I kind of got a taste of, of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I did have my rose colored glasses on because, because I was raised for 19 years, basically by the content of my character. Um, when I went out into the real world, I was like, whoa, I thought Dr. King fixed everything. Why are the <laughs> black people so angry? What's yeah. why the white people live in the suburbs? I'm so confused right now. Yeah. Um, and then in 1996, uh, after the OJ trial, there was all the racial ch- uh, uh, tension and they had the Million Man March and the organizers of the Million Man March kind of used the energy of the college students to organize it. We're like, fine, we're having our own march. And I got thrust into international leadership and got a quick 
taste in, you know, I had to organize in Compton and I was like, Ooh, this is why you guys are angry. Okay. Yep. Now yep. I understand. Yep. Um, and that's the thing. If you're not actually in it, if you don't actually go and see about it for yourself, then you're just pontificating about stuff, you know, so that you yep. can get likes and hearts and, right. you know, right, right. Absolutely. Followers you know, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw a great meme that I wanted to share with you. I, I, I don't know. I guess I must follow a couple of these Gen X, um, <laughs> I, I G or say post some funny stuff and it's like harkens back to my upbringing. Um, one said how, why Gen X will save the world. I think that was maybe an, an article on Substack, but it, the gist of it was that, you know, Gen Xers were really the last generation that had to be tough and self-reliant. A lot of us were latchkey kids, you know, uh, where we were in and out of the house, you know. Uh, we were given an extremely long leash to explore our surroundings on bicycle uh, and then once we started driving automobiles. Um, and, you know, the whole kind of, my whole upbringing was kind of like, you know, it reminds me of the, I'm going to paraphrase Candace Owens, but life was tough. I, if life was tough on me, I needed to get a helmet. Like nobody was going right. to be padding everything. There, this was pre-millennial and all the trigger words and the, and the peanut allergies, all, all the different sensitivities and, and pronouns that the woke agenda has thrown at us. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I think Gen Xers are like, you know, they, they have a good BS radar. Uh, yes. But I wanted I wanted to ask you about that because we're kind of, you know, we grew up, we're kind of the forgotten gen a little bit because of the size of the boomer, the baby boomer generation. And then the millennials were kind of buttressed by these two forces in the culture. Um, and the article kind of pointed to that, that we're kind of the unsung generation. We grew up with the birth of technology, but we also played outside and we're not on our phones growing up because it, that was before all that. Um, and we had to kind of be self-reliant think for ourselves. And so our generation is kind of street smart and we got a good BS detector. And, but I just wanted to, I, I, I wanted to shout out to all my Gen Xers, but I wanted to give you a chance to kind of reflect on, on your own, you know, kind of upbringing as a Gen Xer, especially when you reflect on now the millennials and now the Gen Zers, it's, it's quite a bit different with technology and, and all these different things. I, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You know, I'm I'm I I'm an alchemist and an astrologer and, and all the things. And so I like to break things down and I was like, okay, well, first in mathematics, X is the unknown factor. It's it's what you're always trying to solve. And they did call us the slacker generation. No, we were just the observer, kick back and observe and work smarter, not harder generation. Yeah. And then X, anything, X is 10. So if you're dealing with Gen X, one Gen X, or you're dealing with 10 different, because we all have multiple personalities because <laughs> of our childhoods, you yeah. know, and, and and just think about like, you know, I don't know about you, but I ran in packs, you know, because nobody's parents were ever home. Totally. And That's so we, exactly we ran, how we rolled. Yeah. <laughs> we ran in neighborhoods and scared all the old people. But, um, you know, there was always one mom that was, you know, in the neighborhood that said, well, 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 if your kids are going to be acting up, come to the house, don't be yeah. drinking and driving. And I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And in the work ethic, yeah, our parents weren't home, but the work ethic and some of our parents, our friends' parents owned businesses. So our friends yeah. were working at their, and, and we saw examples of, um, you know, just working class people making it and, and having some sense of 
moral compass and guidance and some things that we all agreed upon, even though we were still having our differences. And then I miss Archie Bunker and the Jeffersons and all of that. That was helping us deal with our racial issues. We were laughing at ourselves. Absolutely. We knew that we had our flaws and our problems, but... And then MTV, you know, I think, you know, with MTV, that just show opened up the world to all the the possibilities. And I just think that we are an extraordinary generation and we will save the world. We're going to make these kids get out of timeout in their safe spaces. And yeah, I love it. Yeah, I I (laughs) I remember roaming when I was a kid with my brother and like our friends on bicycles and always like, there was always one or two dogs that were trailing along, you know, right, it was yeah. just like, they would crap someplace. No, nobody was picking up anything back then. You're like, don't step in dog poop. That was the rule. Right. It's just like, you know, it was so rough and tumble. And yeah, I have such fond memories because it was just such a great freedom loving uh, upbringing. And if you remember right, and I love that you brought in Archie Bunker and Jefferson's, that was just awesome, by the way. Um, but remember, like, when Reagan came in, it was like the whole country was united in this kind of pride in America, right? It wasn't yeah. even, even, you know, I know there was hardcore Democrats who were like, we don't, you know, we're, we're going to support the other side or whatever. But for the most part, I mean, Reagan carried, I think, 48 or 49 states. Just everybody was like, this is exactly what we need right now. We want. And so I grew up with a, you know, this kind of pride, patriotic pride. Yeah, we had the Russians and the you know, the Soviet Union were like, oh, but for the most part. In our Olympic team. Oh, remember? my God. The hockey our Olympic team. teams were just killing it. Oh, right? Gymnastics. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a really special time. And, and, you know, I forget sometimes how much that time in America, uh, which was our, you know, our formative years, how much that that formed us, you know, Um, and it still is kind of the wind at our sails now as we as we face what we're facing now. Um, But I wanted to ask, you know, you and I, I, I was so delighted to speak with you the first time I met you. And you know, we were talking about the different rabbit holes. You're a truther. I'm a truther. Um, and I mean, I was like, whoa, this this woman's gone down all the rabbit holes I've gone down, you Gen Xer. Like you've you've looked at the Epstein stuff. You looked at Q drops. You've looked at the galactic stuff like there wasn't anything that I said that that you didn't have a, a resonance or a, or a contribution. And I was like, whoa, I don't meet that many people like like you, like a lot of times people be like, oh, I don't, I don't go for it. Oh yeah. The Epstein, there's probably a lot of stuff there, but I, I don't know about the ET thing, but you were just kind of like rolling with all of it. Like, yeah, I've been down that one. And, um, what did you learn from all that? Like as, as a meta kind of takeaway, cause that, that's a lot of different threads, but they all seem to kind of relate together. Um, did it help you in kind of building, a pattern of what's going on right now so that you can navigate it? Like what, what was the takeaway? Um, what was the draw, maybe the attraction for going down? And then I'll, I'll share a bit once I, once I hear like where, where you're at with it and, and what you learned. Well, ever since I was a little girl, I had an ABC plan. One, I wanted to be an entertainer. B, I wanted to be a sportscaster. And C, I wanted to be a flight attendant. So when I went to college, I was a communications major. So I just like being an actor. I take uh, being uh, in the media and a journalist as a craft. 
And in 2016, with the OJ trial and how they were sensationalizing it, and then people were getting talk shows, and it was just becoming a money thing, and it was getting so away from what I learned about traditional journalism. So um, I just really, um, you know, really, really, really take it personally um, with being lied to and deceived. So I just have to say, God bless Julian Assange, because if not for the WikiLeaks, I probably wouldn't even have dipped a toe. You know, I'm open-minded about anything, you know, but I'm also scientific, you know, show me, prove it to me, whatever. But when there was just empirical evidence right in front of your face, I was just like, wow. So that set the foundation for me to even open my mind to the questions that he was asking because people act like he just shoved all this information down our throat when there was just questions that were being asked. And then you were asked to do the research yourself. And you're like, wait a minute, this person is married to this person and this person's brother, this, this, and this organization. And you start to see the house of cards. Um, To me, it was like a, 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 a math you know, equation, a puzzle, you know, and then it all began to make sense. So then, so then I didn't really have to get off into the woo woo. Oh, the evil cabal and everything like that. I'm looking at, you know, we walk by ordinary everyday people that are going to work with the sole purpose of, of humanity's demise. Yeah. And, um, you know, everybody should should dip a toe into how it intricately goes together and it needs funding. So mm-hmm. then you have all these other components that go into it. And yes, your favorite celebrity may not, you know, be diddling with children, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. That that's what's going on and, you know, or that he's not over here laundering money in guns and or that he's actually a CIA agent, agent you know. Right, right. <laughs> I think I think that, you know, we've gotten so desensitized to corruption and, and lies that people it's easy for um, the the mainstream public to shrug off what we've been talking about, especially if it's just like money laundering and corruption, it just starts to sound kind of vanilla, which is why I've I've always said that if they ever show us the truth, and I know this is true, if they ever show us the truth about what they've done with children, uh, why so many children go missing every year, um, Julian Assange famously said um, that he did not release all of the, the material on the pedophile uh, ritual children material. Uh, And he said, I didn't want to be the one to break the heart of the world. I remember him saying that. And yeah. And so as, as I mean, he is so heroic for showing us what was really under the hood and what was being hidden from us. And then all these different anons and these citizen journalists just started looking at every nook and cranny that were in the cue drops and man, did they find a bunch of stuff and all tied together. But I always thought that as horrific as the evidence was for, you know, the Epstein Island, you know, that's the one that's kind of lurking right now in 2024 that, you know, the, the mainstream public's like, okay, well, so it was a blackmail uh, operation run by Mossad and the CIA and Jelaine Maxwell. She was a CIA or a, a Mossad operative. Her father, Robert uh, uh, Maxwell, was high up in Mossad as well. Um, 
you know, I think people can get their head around, okay, they they sexually blackmail entertainers and politicians and people of influence, but I don't think the public would say it it is true what they do with with children. I think they would say, no, that that goes even beneath them. And the the fact of the matter is is it doesn't that you have who's who's kind of who's kind of engineering it are sociopaths and psychopaths. And so they don't really have feelings like you and I have for human children. So for them, it's just kind of a, it's a maneuver that's very effective for them to sort of blackmail and get, get what they want. And it all sounds kind of grisly, but I I do think that at some point we're going to, people are going to know more about this and it may take the mainstream public to be willing to kind of look at as much, I don't want to say stuff is that, that is grotesque, but they need to confirm. You have to confirm it for yourself. And that might take some looking at something at a truth. That's like, Oh shit. You know what I mean? Like uh, people are reflexively looking away uh, and they're kind of numbed out from words like corruption and money laundering. So that's not really doing the trick of awakening and red pilling people. But I have a I have a feeling that the stuff that I just mentioned uh, would do the trick if presented the right way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, and then I wanted to ask you, E, too, like we're we're in such a, a, a spiritual war right now. It seems like it's coming to a head, although you know, there, there's mystics and psychics and just everyday people that it, it seems like the, the overall sentiment is like there's something, it seems like things are coming to a head. Um, you know, I don't mean to be, you know, apocalyptic, um, although, you know, many of the Christians are like, it's the end times. But to be fair, I was hearing that when I was a little kid, too. I remember people going, it's end times. California is going to have an earthquake and it's going to go into the sea. Like all these predictions I heard in my working class town growing up. But as a sensitive person, as somebody who has pretty good um, inner knowing and instinct and, um, you know, I do sense that people are aware that, huh, this is a big year, not just because – You've got the presidential election and Trump perhaps coming back. Um, but people are just, I think people look a little edgy, like they're not quite sure when the other shoe is going to drop, but they have a feeling it's dropping this year. Um, and then I just wanted to ask you, like, is that jive with your instincts? And then are you optimistic right now? Do we have allies helping us? Is, is, you know, is God, does God win this, I guess, is another way of framing it. What, what's your take on it? And if you're optimistic, what has you feel that way? Well, because I am the official ambassador for the Aquarius age, and that's all that's happening is that we're shifting ages. Any Any astrologer will tell you that, you know, according to the charts and the maps and everything like that in our astrology books that we're not in the uh, um, Aquarius age yet, but we had to accelerate it because mm. of the nefarious things that they were up to. So literally the Aquarius age started um, ruminating around 2009. So you had indigenous people all over the world getting um, messages to uh, do certain grid works. I know that there were some um, Mayan Hopi uh, 
ancestral people that were making small makeshift uh, pyramids and setting them on certain grid lines. Mm. You know, I know a lot of Africans were told to do certain things, um, you know, because their level of rituals and nonsense and sacrifices and stuff that they're doing to try to gain power that doesn't really exist, um, you know, is caused a disturbance of the force. So the work that we've had to do, but right now there's uh, four five planets in Aquarius, including the planet Pluto, and mm. that's going to be in, in in for several decades. So astrologically speaking, you know, all the stars are aligning for this revolution of humanity to, to happen. And the Aquarius age is the golden age. It's the yeah. age of the second childhood, because we've all had our childhoods robbed from us. Mm-hmm. It's the second childhood, and um, the technology will be used to make our lives easier, not to spy on us and make our life difficult. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, the timelines are splitting. So it's like wherever your consciousness is, yes, we're going to have this battle. But it's like you say, Tony, if we don't have the battle, how we, how do we take the hero, hero's journey? Yeah. Uh, when I was a little girl, I played Wonder Woman. Come on, man. I yeah. want to have, totally. you know, we're going to have that. You know, we were all Jedi. So yeah. Um, that battle's going to happen. I'm here um, for it. <laughs> you have to choose a side, you know, yeah. love or fear and love or fear. It's not that difficult. Just choose a side. And yeah. and the most fear is about your own human potential, your own light, your own superhero-ness, your own greatness. I think everybody knows what they're really here to do, but they've talked themselves out of it. And, you know, they've slaved, they've, you know, slaved themselves to things that they're not happy with. And, this year is shaking that up. And I think COVID, you know, with people being locked in their homes, they couldn't hide from themselves. And so I think, um, I think the, you know, the collective consciousness of it, like the hundred monkeys, I think we're close. I think we got like 85 monkeys. Yeah, I agree. That's what it feels like. (laughs) Yeah. We're 85. We're missing 15 and they're popping this year. (laughs) Maybe they're at the convention. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I, I love your message. You know, and I love that you brought in the the astrological ages uh, because I remember reading about the – and it's it's not just the Native Americans and the astrological ages. Like the Yugas in, in India were coming out of the Kali and entering the Dwapada, which is this transitional age where there's a lot more light coming in. And then we get to the Satya Yuga, which is the the golden age. And then the Mayans have their own 24,000 years cycles. And that's also got, you know, the green light go thumbs up. We're there. So we're as Americans, we're not really in Westerners. We're not accustomed to seeing, we know that there's something going on, but we don't take that, that kind of 30,000 foot view that you're taking. I love that you're doing that because it certainly puts it into place. So you're like, well, all this corruption was really built on the last age, the Piscean age and the, and the Kali Yuga and whatever the Mayans had for their, the last age, right? It's just like the, it's built on, you know, you know, there's a lot of ways to say it, but it's, it's the old guard. It's the old top down centralized control humanity. And all of that stuff is breaking apart. And I think the fear comes out of, you know, all the things we've known, all the structures look to be teetering. They don't look to be made of anything. They're almost castles made of sand and the ocean is washing them away to build something that works better for us. So it ought to be a time of great excitement. I'm here for it. This like second childhood, I'm a down for it, man. I love it. I want to see humanity emerge 
victorious. Um, I, I know we're, we have so much potential that's untapped because we've been in systems that do not uh, do not allow us or it's difficult to uh, realize our potential collectively when the systems that we're built on um, just don't they don't want that expressed. Um, and I just think, wow, this could really get accelerated in a hurry, particularly if the 15 more monkeys pop this year. I think we could, <laughs> I think we could see some really exciting stuff. So I'm just, I, I love your message. I love what you're talking about and I'm just so in alignment with it. Um, and then you've got, you, what do you have coming up? You've got a radio show. What, tell us where people can find you and find your, your, your new show. Where is that going to be and where can people find you? Absolutely. I just I just wanted to blow your mind real quick, though, Tony. Um, you know, the founding fathers uh, were astrologers. So, um, you know, they, astrologically, they were? <laughs> yes, yes, they they were they were astrologers. So they they made the United States astrological birth chart a certain way. And so, of course, July 4th makes our our sun sign uh, cancer. That's why we want to mother everybody and love everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but cancer is a great mother. But this is what's funny is that our moon, which rules our emotions, is in the sign of Aquarius. We're in the Aquarius age. But the great part about it is the United States has Gemini rising. And I don't know, I think 45 uh, is a Gemini. Yeah, I think Last so. Time I checked. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Gemini rising. So, you know, everything is in alignment and everything like that. So, yes, I um, have a radio show coming up. It's going to be on AM 1150 KKNW. And that's in Bellevue. And uh, let's see, we will be on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are hoping to start on March 7th, but at the latest, we will be starting on March 21st. And our show is called Dialectic Divas. And so uh, I have two co-hosts. One of my co-hosts is uh, a, a painting visual artist, and she's from Texas, and she's a sweetheart, and she's a Gen Xer, mm -hmm. and uh, she's, a, she's, she's a white lady. And then we have... Uh, my other co-host is a millennial and she's also a painting artist and mm -hmm. uh, her name is Shea. And so, uh, so, and I'm a performance artist. So the three of us have this show called Dialectic Divas. And so we're going to deconstruct uh, topics and issues, you know, looking at both sides of, of, of the perspective of the, of the spectrum hmm. um, saying that two things can actually be true at the same time. You know, that sounds like um, a really cool show. Yeah, so we're really excited about it. We're going to be shamelessly self-promoting our own projects and our uh, lots of independent artists because we're involved in create in creating a sustainable creative economy for mm -hmm. the artists in uh, Seattle. So, uh, so yeah, we got kind of a lot going on. And so I'm on Facebook. Let's see, uh, my name is E Mandisa Subira on Facebook. I'm also Imandisa uh, on uh, X, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I'll I'll keep you posted on the progress of everything that we're doing with our creative economy. That's the thing that I'm most excited about because I've been an artist for a long time, and the city of Shoreline came to the artist the uh, 
musicians in the city of Shoreline and said, we want to make music and film the ecosystem of our city. Hmm. So to have um, a young city council, we have the two world famous studios here in Shoreline, um, Robert Lang Studios, London Bridge Studios that produced all the famous acts out of Shoreline. We have the the great films that are being produced out of Shoreline Community College. So we're having our own little renaissance here in Shoreline, and we're going to be able to do things locally and then expand it globally. So we're kind of excited about that. That's great. Well, I wish you all the best on that. It sounds super exciting. I love that you're so inspired um, and you've got such a knowledge of what's going on. It'll be a really fascinating show. And you've got a great voice for radio. People are just going to want to listen to you and, and listen to your perspective. So good luck on all that. Thanks for coming on, E, and sharing your insights and your wisdom. It's always great to talk to you. Um, as this year unfolds, please come back again and share what's going on. I think I think there's going to be a bunch of things happening, and, and we could check in later on as we see what's going on with these elections and maybe what that means astrologically or just, you know, how, how, what your take is on all, on all of it. So thank you so much for taking time today. Absolutely. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I hope to have E on again as we travel our collective hero's journey, getting closer and closer to the 100th monkey popping. Thank you, base campers. Shout out to my fellow Gen Xers who are helping to save the world, and we'll see you around the fire next week. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac and you're listening to Base Camp for Men.